Um, but nevertheless, here we are, and we are in our summer series, The Minor Prophets. We're over halfway now. Um, we are reading along. We're just taking them in order. And if you don't know who the minor prophets are, they're those, those 12 little books right at the very end of your Old Testament. And so we've been getting to know about their life and their times. And though it's so long ago, it's been incredible for me at least how relevant what they're going through, what they're dealing with is for our lives today. So um, today we will be in a book that uh, when you first hear the name, you, you might think, that sounds a bit boring. But I promise you, there is nothing ho-hum about Nahum, all right? So uh, let me give you just a couple of facts to get us rolling, and we'll pray, and then we'll dive deep. Um, first of all, we have no specifics, no details about Nahum uh, anywhere in Scripture and anywhere in ancient history. He is an absolute mystery man beyond what we have here. Um, he also is from a place called Elkosh, which today is an unknown location. So we really, I mean, we know generally where he was, but we really, we really don't know exactly where he hails from, where it is on a map. Uh, another thing about Nahum that, that, that's very important to just set yourselves for before we get into it is that it is an extremely harsh prophetic condemnation of both the city of Nineveh and the nation of Assyria. Now, this is one of those books, all right, just so you know, when sometimes people will look at God and they just go, you know, God in the Old Testament, he's just too wrathful. He's too angry. You want to reserve your judgment if you feel that way because I guarantee you Nineveh and Assyria both had it coming. Um, if anyone was ever deserving of the wrath of God, uh, it was Nineveh and it was Assyria. Now, one, one final important thing to note, because uh, Jane and I had to look this up ourselves, we were both reading along this week, is the time frame, okay? Because we can get kind of jammed up thinking of, well, wait a minute, Noah went to Nineveh, and Nineveh, you know, they turned to God, everything was cool, now God's about to wipe them out. What happened? Okay, this is 100 years after Jonah. Um, I know in my Bible, it's only seven pages, right? It's 100 years. There's 100 years in between. And what's happened is that, you know, when, when Jonah came, Nineveh, when they heard what was about to happen, they repented. I mean, we're talking sackcloth and ashes and going about barefoot. I mean, we even, as Patty preached a couple weeks ago, even the cattle were mourning, right? Everybody's turning to God. Well, it's been 100 years, and things have really changed. So what's happened here is that Nineveh, this is short-lived repentance. I know 100 years sounds like a long time, but uh, they have gone back to their old ways and uh, with a vengeance, all right? Now, so let me tell you about the city itself. Nineveh uh, was a pr pretty wild city. It was uh, fairly large, and it was surrounded by an eight-mile wall, Okay. So uh, you're not just going to walk into Nineveh and just start pushing people around, all right? Eight-mile wall, not just, not just the eight-mile wall, they had a moat in front of Nineveh. The moat was 150 feet wide. Uh, is Mick here today? Mick, Mick might not be here. Mick, it's half a football field, am I wrong? Okay, half a football field of water before the city. So these guys were fortified, and... Um, Nineveh, along with, with Assyria, was known. They were legendary, infamous, whatever rotten, well-known words you want to throw in there. They were known for extreme brutality. I mean, just aggressive violence, over the top, 
toward everybody, all right? When it came to their enemies, um, when they attacked a city, I'm glad the kids went to children's church, um, they would attack the city, they would kill people, and then they would decapitate them, and they would stack their heads in a pyramid in front of the city gates to terrify other people. Then they would take the corpses and they would stack them up like firewood. So this is Assyria, and by the way, that is the only example that I could give you from ancient history. I, that, that was the cleanest, nicest, most friendly example I could give you of their brutality. It just gets worse from there. When it came to their own people, the kind of criminal punishment that they would exact on their own people, fellow Assyrians, this is, this is the stuff of medieval torture. This is where it all comes from. So we are talking about a people that um, it, 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 we, we could just barely describe it. I, you couldn't film it and put it, uh, well, some, probably somebody would today. But, um, and, and as you know from last week and the weeks before, Assyria's main target time and time again was the people of God. So they would attack others, but they really had a thing for the Jews. They came after Israel, Jerusalem over and over again. And by the way, what's fascinating here, this tells us why Jonah was so angry with God. You remember, uh, I've heard people say about Jonah, well, why is Jonah just, he's just so, so bigoted against the Assyrians. You know, he's, he's just got such a stereotype. No, this is what Jonah's pointing at when he says, I, God, I, I could die. I would rather die than go, go give your message of salvation to these people. So it, it's, this is the environment and this is the attitude. And now it's been 100 years, and what's happened is that, that Nineveh, as we said a moment ago, in Assyria, they have rejected God. They have backslidden now into deeper corruption, deeper violence, deeper idolatry, materialism, and cruelty. So in other words, things are so much worse than they've ever been before. And Nineveh is a city, is actually filled now with the spoils of war. Okay, it's one of the capital cities of Assyria. So every time, you know, they ransack a city, they're storing treasures in Nineveh. Um, they are bathing in luxury, in perversion, in corruption, in wealth. And now there's a new twist in Nineveh and Assyria. These people have gotten into witchcraft. So they, they, are gone, they have slid deep into the dark arts and dark religion, and they are invading everyone. They're like a rabid dog just running through a neighborhood. They're attacking everybody at this point. And so, so Assyria now has become the most powerful empire in the ancient Near East, and they are dealing out violence on a scale that no one has ever seen before. So that, oh my gosh, that is the environment. That is the setting of this book. And uh, it's about to come to an end, though. Because now God is going to move to judge both Nineveh and Assyria. And when we say judge, we need to understand the word is annihilate. He, he is going to wipe them off the map. And you can actually check the history books on this one. When you read about the, 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 the vanishing or the demise of Assyria and Nineveh, look at Nahum's prophecy and then look when they are wiped out. This, this is, it happens right here. So God gets rid of an enemy forever that just will not be tamed, but he also delivers his people from their greatest human oppressor. Wow. See what I mean? There's just nothing ho-hum about this. This is wild stuff. Let me pray for us, and then let's get into the, the meat of this thing. Father, we thank you that you are good. Oh, God, everything you do is good. Uh, Lord, you are moved with love for us. 
Um, you are moved with love for your world. God, you have always just been this consistent rescuing God. When you should have written us off so long ago, you, you have delivered us in so many different ways. And so on this Father's Day, God, we say thank you. What an incredible heavenly Father. And I just pray that, that we will mind the depths of this book today and just really come away um, just with, uh, with, with its theme just printed, etched on our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's, uh, let's get into this a little bit. Um, as you remember in Jonah, because I just shared it a minute ago, um, when, when Jonah came around the first time, right, uh, Nineveh repented. They turned to God. It seems to be, you know, uh, just very genuine, a beautiful thing. Well, 100 years have passed, and now uh, Nineveh and Assyria's attitude toward God, and you get it all throughout the book, is just apathy. It's just we don't care. Uh, it's kind of like they're standing there as a nation going, keep on talking. We have heard all this stuff before, and, uh, you know, we, we just don't care. We're going to do what we want to do because we can do it, and nobody can stop us. This, this God, this Yahweh, he might have frightened ancient Assyrians way back when. We're modern Assyrians. We have become the greatest superpower on the earth. And, uh, you know, we're just going to keep on doing our thing. Times have changed. And you really get that attitude in verse 9 and verse 11 of chapter 1 where Nahum says, you guys are directly plotting evil against the Lord. So it really is as if the Assyrians, they've loaded their shotguns and they're just firing towards God. We also see how far they're gone in Nahum 3.19 when God says this about the Assyrians he says, at this point, nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. And all who hear the news about you, in other words, everyone who hears about your coming destruction, they will clap their hands at your fall because who has not felt your cruelty? So chapter 1 starts off, and it's very much like Micah from last week. It starts off talking about the greatness of God, and you're going to find this throughout the prophets. Before they get into the action, they want you to know who this God is. They want you to know his power and his mercy and his goodness. Let me read this to you out of verses 3 and three through 8. I love this. The Lord is slow to anger, but he's great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind, and the storm and the clouds are the dust at his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. And does that sound like the start of Micah last week? You know, you get just the, the grand majesty of God, the strength of God, his ability to do whatever he will do as Lord, and, and that he's good. Everything is for a reason. So it's all there again. Um, it's just, hey, God is in control. 
And, and I love the reminder here that it's not just his people that God is over, but the earth is the Lord's. Everyone in it. I mean, everything is under his dominion. Nobody can stand against him. And again here are those dual things, themes of, of grace and mercy and then justice and uh, condemnation. So in other words, again, God punishes his enemies and God really looks after his own. I thought of James 4, 6. You know, it's kind of a recasting of that from the New Testament. God opposes the proud, but he shows grace to the humble. That's what we're seeing here. And the humble are not just Israelites back in the day. The humble are everyone in every generation who look to him, who rely on him, who call on him as Lord, who follow him in his life. Those are the humble. And the proud are those who thumb their nose at God, who resist, who go the other way, who, who choose, like Assyria, to wreak sinful destruction. Now, what is really ironic here um, is that Nahum's name means comforter. And that is certainly true for God's people. There's a lot of comfort for them in the book. Uh, it's not really true for Assyria, is it? Not really true for Nineveh. So, you know, one man's comfort is, is another man's doom, I guess, in the book. But, um, we, we, that, that, you know, he, here it is, that, that, that just duality right here. And we, we get the doom part as uh, we go from Nahum 1.9 all the way through to Nahum 2.13. So it's about half the book, and then a little bit after that, really spells out what God is going to do. We hit this little phrase again and again, and it is, I am against you, coming from, from the mouth of God to Nineveh and, and Assyria. I'm against you. I'm against you. I'm against you. Therefore, punishment. But then we also see clearly the mercy of God as he speaks to his people. A great place here is Nahum 1.15, where it's, and see if this sounds familiar to you. Look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals. Judah, fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. And again, this is what we saw pretty much last week in Micah, where God speaks about what's about to happen, Nineveh, and Assyria, punishment, but to all God's people in every generation. But blessing is coming to you. I will rescue you. There is a future coming. And it's just so beautiful that Jesus is tied into that. And again, every minor prophet and every major prophet, in some way, they tie Jesus into our future. And you'll notice that with the, on the, the mountains or the feet of those who bring good news. So this is what's coming, and that pretty much is the book of Nahum, you know, this is it in a nutshell. So what do we do with all this? Um, I checked the paper today. I, I didn't read about any Assyrian invasions about to happen. Um, you know, Babylon is not in the wind behind them. What do we do with this? Well, there is an old saying, which is this. Never underestimate the positive impact of a negative example. I believe, I've prayed of this all week, God, what would you have me say to your people? What is the point? Three words came to mind again and again, and they are fear of God. That's what I think we get from Nahum. It is the fear of God. And when it came to God, okay, Nineveh and Assyria, they had none. 
absolutely no fear, no regard. God isn't even an afterthought for these guys. And it is different the second time around. You know, the first time Jonah came calling uh, to Nineveh, they were terrible, right? Do we all agree? Yeah. But they had never heard of him before. So when they hear about God and who he is and what he can do, they turn toward God. Well, this time they know him. They've sort of walked with him on and off for a hundred years, but they have the knowledge of God. And here they have become completely wicked and completely evil knowing that. Now, what chills my blood so much, and every time I thought about this week, I was like, oh, is, is the impact that time has, okay? A hundred years have passed. Nineveh has gone from revering God, seeking God, turning toward God, to absolutely no regard for him in the short span of a hundred years. They have completely forgotten their God. And I thought about that, and for about two seconds, I was like, you know, those Assyrians, not really clever. And then I started thinking about my life. You know, I started thinking about our lives. This is a trend that happens to all of us. You know, we all fall prey to just seasons where we just kind of forget who God is. And what you see for Nineveh is they have this moment, and I know it's repentant and and they're sad, but but this moment for Nineveh, when Jonah comes calling, it is a glorious moment for them. You know, this is a moment of salvation. It's life-changing. But then again, what happens? Time enters in. The clock starts ticking. And and I hope we can identify with this in our lives, but, you know, we have that moment of salvation. And then what happens that the moment of our salvation, sometimes it begins to fade in the rearview mirror as time enters in. And then, of course, there are things like hard times and tragedy and busyness, and they can sort of, sort of help that image of God to fade, and people forget. We just forget. And you can find yourself sometimes years later in the church going through the motions, singing the songs, attending all the stuff. This has happened to me before in worship, and I realize I am singing these words, these glorious words of how great God is, and my heart is just somewhere else entirely. It happens not just to Assyrians and to Ninevites, it happens to all of us. So the fear of God enters in, right? Now, people mean a lot of different things when they use the fear of God. Um, the phrase can be used to try and, and you know, cause a lot of things to happen. When I was a kid, um, the fear of God was always attached to how we dressed when we came to church as kids. And so people would say, you kids need to fear God more and Start wearing slacks and quit wearing jeans. And it was always in that tone of voice, by the way, you know. Um, but I, I just want, want us to, to, to make this identification, this connection with the fear of God. The fear of God is simply believing that God is who the Word of God says He is. It's just really believing that He is the God who rightly deals with sin. Why? Because sin is deadly because sin destroys families, because it wrecks our lives, and we are all prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right, Marv, don't we? Yeah, but, but we're all prone to it, and, and, and our God deals with it. He, he also dealt with it on the cross, but sin is a big deal, right? That's what the Word of God says He is, and the fear of God means, you know, I need to take this seriously. I, I, I want to know that, Lord, but it's also that God is all about rescue, healing, and life, You know, what happened in the Garden of Eden, it's so bad, you know. I mean, listen, any other God, 
Any other entity would have walked away. All right, fine, you made your choice. Go ahead, enjoy it, man. Just eat away at the tree of, you know, I mean, just do whatever. I'm done with you people forever. But God didn't want us to die in sin. So he sent Jesus Christ to rescue us so we wouldn't have to. This God of ours, this Father on this Father's Day, is a wonderful Father. And I believe we as the church, here's one thing I think we have to do. I really believe we have got to be clear and consistent about this message of who our Father is in these days. We live in a culture today, and this culture's been like this for a while, but we live in a culture that is very much like Nineveh and very much like Assyria in its, its regard to, to God. You know, ah, sin, not that big a deal. Sin, yeah, oh, well, yeah, I, I don't think he meant it, or well, times have changed, that, that, that same type of thing. And it, it can even happen to us where we look back and we go, well, you know, the cross happened 2,000 years ago. And our, our culture has a real Assyrian bravado when it comes to the deadliness of sin. And by our culture, I do mean our culture in the world and our culture sometimes even in the church. And so the question is, what do we do about that? What do we do? Do we get hyper-vigilant about the message of sin, and do we begin to, like, police one another's lives, you know? Do we begin to do that? Do, do, we, do we just start preaching, you know, about the effects of sin to our children as we beat them over the head with a Bible, you know? Do we do that? Good, nobody said yes. I'm so glad to hear that. It could be tempting, right, sometimes. I'm sure my dad felt that way. But, but as tempting as that is, it doesn't work. That has never worked. I think back in my life, um, when I was a kid, there was a, I remember this movie called A Thief in the Night. And I was a little, you know, I was a little sinful rogue running around. Steve Keller caused a lot of trouble when he was a kid. So my uncle said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take him to watch this movie, A Thief in the Night. And it was about the end times. And it was as scary as a movie in the 70s could be. And then they kind of present the gospel at the end. And, you know, I was terrified. But you know what? It didn't make me fall in love with Jesus. It really didn't. Um, when Donnie and I were coming up in youth ministry, I know this happened to you. They used to have these haunted houses, Christian haunted houses, and they would put all these horrible, scary end-time images, and at the end they would lead kids to Christ, and it just didn't stick, you know? And you, don't, you can't scare the hell out of people and scare people into heaven. You know, it's like the old saying goes, nobody, nobody said yes to Jesus because they lost an argument. It just doesn't work that way. I remember one kid came to a Bible study. He was actually dating my sister, and he came over to pick her up, and he shows up at a Bible study, and all the guys pounced on him, and they just got in this kid's face, and you need Jesus, and just to get them off his back, the kid said, okay, fine, I accept Jesus. Well, he didn't, you know. I mean, it just, it just didn't happen. Um, what, what we do as the church is different. We do Psalm 46.10, and we do Matthew twenty two thirty seven. We have a responsibility. Psalm forty six ten. So many of you already know it. You can quote it right off the bat. But but for us, what we do is we get still, and we know that He is God. I need to do that every day of my life, where I just go, Lord. You know what? I'm prone to forget. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I'm prone to lose you in the rearview mirror. Every day of my life, I want to develop a love relationship with you. 
And by the way, that's Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As a believer, I need to be in love with my papa. And I know my heavenly father, you know, I know we, well, men, you know, we're macho. Listen, we need to be in love with our heavenly father. We want to be the beloved, right? I mean, we want to experience that as people. Love relationship with God is how we fear him. And so I invite you daily, get in the word of God. Pray. If you're struggling with sin, you know, I, grew, I, I was in church for a little while where no one would ever have shared that they're having a sin problem because everybody would have gone, oh, this is the place to share what you're struggling with. You know, if it's pornography or addiction or, man, this is where we get whole. This is where we experience his love. That's why I love Restore My Soul ministry so much. We get put back together. Church should be a place where, where our hearts get healed and we get filled up with the love of God. You know why? Because there is nothing more attractive to somebody who doesn't know Jesus than you and me filled up with the love of God. I told you my story a few weeks ago. You know, I, I was in all kind of sin that I won't mention or my job, you know, uh, my, the time might tick on my job sooner. I was terrible when I was a kid. But what captured me was people loving me back to Jesus. People who pursued me. People were filled up with his affection and his passion. That's the call. And that is the heart of fearing God. And I pray that it falls on us as a church. I do. Let me pray for us. Oh, God, you are so wonderful. As Keith Green sang so many years ago, Lord, you're beautiful. You are so beautiful. And we just want to be captured again. We, Lord, we want to be people that are filled with the wonder of who our God is, that he rescues, that he redeems, that he doesn't forget anyone. And even where it talks about widows and orphans, your heart for them, that, that God, you are talking about literal widows and orphans, but you're talking about us when we stray away from the family of God, when we become impoverished due to sin. And so, Father, I thank you that today, even as the, we, we sing a, a couple of songs to end, we enter in back to worship, I thank you that you are here to forgive, to cleanse, to comfort, to refill, to renew us. God, you love your people with a passion that will never end. We bless you, we love you, we welcome you into our space, into our heart space today. In Jesus' name, amen.